Welcome to Finding Genius. My name is Kyle O'Brien. Uh, today we have Mike Charlambus. I'm pronouncing that in the uh, Eng- anglicized version of his Nailed name. It. The CEO and founder of Freedium, uh, a 3D uh, e-commerce platform. Uh, so we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, Mike, thanks for, for joining today. I'm really excited to have you on the, on the series. Yeah, super excited as well. And thank you for absolutely nailing my surname and the name of our company, you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you, you're, you know, you're already uh, accomplished a lot <laughs> during this call. <laughs> we can end the interview here. <laughs> so we, we spoke the other day, and um, you know, the first thing that we talked about was our, our personal backgrounds. And you mentioned you're from from Cyprus. You're a Cypriot. Uh, I saw online that you went to, a, I think, an English-speaking high school, and then you went to French University, uh, and now you live in London. So. You know, as a, another kind of multicultural kid, uh, I wanted to get your take on what your experience was like growing up in Cyprus. How did you get introduced to internet culture and, uh, you know, startups and the, the entrepreneur ecosystem in, in Europe? Uh, and what has your experience been like across you know, multiple, multiple regions? Yeah, I mean, um, it's not usual or typical to see people from Cyprus being able to, um, uh, you know... Um, prosper in the tech side of things because, you know, coming from um, a secluded island in the middle of the Mediterranean, everybody cares more about um, tax havens and uh, and tourism, right? Uh, and food, um, which partially I did have experience around, um, around the food industry and entertainment uh, when I first started my professional career. But, um, um, you know, uh, all in all, I was always a bit of a techie. Um, I I was always uh, the guy that I was going around with the newest Nokia phones. Remember those uh, thirty six twenty and ninety two ten and all those things, um, <laughs> paying snakes and all these things. I, I always held like the uh, the record in in the group of friends. Um, and believe it or not, I was already in the metaverse since the age of thirteen or fourteen when we were playing Counter Strike and. Uh, uh, you know, with with the friends, right? Because if you think about it, that was the metaverse, right? You would go around, yeah, you were shooting people, uh, but you were making friends while doing that as well. Um, so, um, you know, um, it was always kind of natural for me to um, to be surrounded and to have this kind of stimuli when it comes to technology and, and gaming. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super Mediterranean, but um, um, I... You know, I, I received most of my education um, at English school, where it was basically, uh, uh, un, uh, you know, uh, everything was taught primarily using the uh, the official uh, British, uh, basically, uh, guidelines of, of, of education. Um, then because I did my <coughs> A-levels and what have you, I was able to go to London and I did my, um, my first degree in CAS Business School in London. Then um, I did uh, my master's in ESCP, um, um, and of course that was my exposure in, in France. And I did that also. It was a joint course, so I, I split half of my time in Chicago, and 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 also in uh, in Paris. So that was good. Um, and you know, being an islander and having the opportunity to escape um, and see, you know, that there is beyond uh, the Mediterranean waves, um, you know, you start spreading your your wings and you start synthesizing all these different opportunities. 
that you can have and that you um, you feel like the world becomes your oyster, but you truly, truly do because, you know, um, you were not initially exposed to something like that. So your appetite and excitement for the world is 10 times bigger. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, um, my excitement about technology and everything landed me my first job in Nokia. And I was part of the Nokia team uh, scouting for different hardware and software solutions as they were building the uh, the Lumia phones. I'm not sure if you guys remember the Lumia phones. They're not that long ago. Uh, but as we're in the process of building them and we're proud about what we're building, uh, iPhones came to life. So it was a great uh, way to see how giants can fall overnight. <laughs> Um, and as Nokia was a, um, uh, you know, a sinking ship, uh, I felt it was a good opportunity for me to, um, to basically try my luck elsewhere. Um, and believe it or not, I ended up in finance in, in Moody's. Uh, we, I was a risk analyst, actually. Um, and after learning how to swear in seven different languages, uh, having to downgrade different bonds and economies, uh, mainly Russia, Portugal, uh, Spain... Um, it was very daunting, so um, I felt that it was really not something I wanted to associate myself with, and I didn't want to do this for the rest of my career. So I went back into um, the tech world, but through the agency side this time, um, and I joined WPP and Wonderman, and we were part of the brand strategy uh, teams, uh, basically guiding uh, different consumer electronic brands into their new product launches across different markets. Um, and as we were grinding in that space and as we were basically doing all sorts of different um, uh, ex executions and activations and, and amassing diff um, different um, data from, from different markets, we came to the realization that um, users become, were becoming even more immune to digital advertising, social media, banner blindness. Mind you, this was back in 2016. So um, uh, as a side gig, I started this, this small company, which we created like a SaaS platform, uh, allowing brands to be able to build interactive ad banners um, to, uh, to make the whole banner, uh, banner industry a bit more enticing and exciting and, and perhaps more eff effective. And as we were trying to optimize the product, as we were looking to find ways as to what more you can input within banners to make them sassy and, and, and interesting and eye-catching, we came across um, um, Dushan, who at the time was very prolific in 3D. He came across this algorithm that was able to compress um, heavy 3D files into low low poly 3D files, which, which maintain the same kind of, um, um, how do you call it, the same kind of uh, photorealism. And, um, and we started playing around with the idea of putting 3D on the web, mainly through banners. And we nailed it, actually, because um, we, um, we managed to convince BMW to, to try the first ever 3D banner ad. And they absolutely smashed it. So um, they, uh, I remember they launched in a few publishers and people can go and swirl the, the BMW and they could uh, change colors and open and close the doors, everything through a banner ad. Um, and uh, I remember they had something like 200% increase on their click-through rates from that banner and they booked something like 
73 uh, test drives within the two days that the banner ad was was live on a few publishers. Um, so that was a that for us was a awakening call that we were sitting on something bigger than what we initially intended, and. Um, and, and, and that's how we started, you know, exploring the whole idea of getting uh, 3D and AR across the web, democratizing for, for any brand, any agency, any small team company. Um, and that's how 3D was, was formed, basically. So was the original product, I mean, the, the, the side project that you did uh, for BMW there, did that translate directly into 3DM, or was that the inspiration for building the, what would become the company? Yeah, um, um, it was a bit of both. So basically, we, um, we had created already this SaaS kind of platform that would allow you to take specific templates and just uh, embed inside gamified uh, activations or... Um, some cool 3D uh, aspects um, and then basically we took uh, the source code of that platform with what was able to do at a low code level um, and we and we connected it with uh, all the 3D uh, features and aspects that Dushan and, and the team were creating at their time with, with, their, with their own 3D uh, IP so we tied everything together, we glued everything together, and that's how we had um, the 3D platform coming to life. Um, of course, um, it wasn't as simple and as romantic as it sounds because at the time, I was an owner of, of 3D and Dushin uh, of Frenzy, and Dushin was owner of Frenzy's that this side agency, the side side platform that we did, and 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 Dushin had 3D but 3D was building this compression around 3D objects um, and then we had to put our egos aside and find the ways to merge and find the ways in which IP will tie in nicely and have an equal value um, uh, it took us a couple of months but uh, you know we I remember we uh, we agreed everything over beers and nachos and that's always a great way to resolve any kind of uh, gray areas you know well any startup founders listening will uh, you can take that recommendation if you're in <laughs> way to incorporate. Exactly. Solves every problem. About, let's talk a little bit about um, like the value proposition behind 3DM. So that initial seed of an idea, the experiment with BMW that was a, kind of a clear, uh, a clear moment uh, where you understood that there was value to unlock. Um, how, how, do you, how do you pitch 3DM today? Uh, how has the platform evolved? What, it, what would be a, a customer experience perhaps in the 3DM platform? Yeah, so... Um, our main mission when we started was how to democratize 3D and AR for commerce. And this remains as the, the, the key foundation, the key pillar in everything that we do. So all the decisions we do around product uh, on the roadmap, but also um, the kind of, um, of R&D that we're working on six months ahead of time from, from today, it's always to ensure that we can provide uh, an end-to-end engine that allows everybody basically to utilize 3D and AR commerce and immersive solutions across any channel. Now, um, when we started the company in 2017, um, there there was nowhere to be seen the whole notion of interconnected worlds and a parallel digital universe because people couldn't really associate with that, but also the technology was not quite there yet for people to be able to embrace and, and place all, you know, ownership on, on digital goods. Right. 
so when when we started the company, it was mainly around how to optimize product displays on e-commerce and how to enhance the e-commerce experience for the brands and, and the users. Now, with uh, the introduction of blockchains into our life, with the introduction of immersive worlds, which we now tend to name as, as metaverse worlds, um, and um, with this massive hype uh, that is being built up around the metaverse and, and the promise that the metaverse can bring to the world, um, we started um, to educate the brands about how, what this means and how they can be utilizing it through their existing immersive commerce solutions and the three files that they owned. Because this whole new internet that is being built, its key component, the key ingredient to build it is 3D. So um, we found ourselves in this very unique position in the market where we had all these global tier one brands like uh, Farfetch, like Fendi, Bulgari, um, you know, Mercedes, Diageo, Samsung, and what have you, uh, that they were already using the engine to, to, to digitalize and visualize their products in 3D and AR, but also create all sorts of different 3D and AR configurators and 3D and AR product explorers and 3D ads and publish them across uh, their digital and uh, e-commerce channels, but also through omni-channel and physical channels. And, and we, we had this amazing opportunity to be the first to guide them and introduce them as to how they could use these assets into the metaverse. So because they were already trusting us, seeing the results and uh, the beautiful work that was done on their e-commerce sites uh, using our technology, it was a no-brainer for them to, um, to come to us and trust us as we were stepping them into the metaverse. So um, um, right now in 2022, we are now acting as a web 2.5 basically platform. And we're sitting right in the intersection of their digital transformation. So all the big brands are using our end-to-end engine uh, to be able to digitalize the products at scale, create all these powerful, engaging um, e-commerce immersive solutions, but also optimize their assets so that they can make them metaverse ready and distribute them across all the different metaverse worlds. And uh, and what we're trying to um, to 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 develop and 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 allow the brands to do is to actually use our platform as a portal that navigates them between Web 2 and Web 3. So um, uh, at any time with zero modeling, zero coding, zero Web 3 knowledge, the brands can utilize their experiences and their assets through the platform to either sell them directly to consumers on their existing e-commerce and, 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 and digital advertising and physical channels. But at any point, they can just take them and deploy them within Decentraland and Sandbox and different Unreal Engine build worlds to start um, blending these physical to digital experiences and maintaining this consistency. Um, and and this is how it now, we're now slowly evolving and developing with them this notion of connected commerce or meta-commerce, if you like. Gotcha. I, I want to touch more on the bridge between Web 2 and Web 3. I think that's like a, a critical pivot for you guys and you're kind of in the right place in the right time with the right expertise and the existing customer base, which is uh, an amazing place to be uh, in 2022. Um, but before we do that, can we talk more about just the, the 3D engine itself, uh, what the experience would be? So let's say I'm like a CMO at uh, Bulgari or something in my fantasy mm-hmm. world. Um, what, what is the experience like if I were to onboard the 3dm platform uh, 
is it, I, I see it kind of as a mix of like uh, some sort of digital experience provider plus a product inventory management and some sort of like, I don't know, designer asset uh, management platform all kind of bundled into one. Um, and, and then once you've kind of designed these uh, 3D files, I suppose you call them, uh, distributing them out into your your pipeline for advertisements for your website, uh, how, how does it work? Like, walk me through that, that process. Yeah, so we've got three types of, um, of, of clients. Um, ones are basically the, um, the Shopify's and the Weeks and, and the WooCommerce shops of the world, which okay. they have limited budgets, limited 3D modeling background, limited tech capabilities, and they can come onto our platform. They can upload a few pictures and images of their products. Our team are going to turn them into 3D and AR so that they have them populated into the, the platform. And then those guys can go into the platform, create their own 3D and AR viewers or configurators and just publish them uh, and they will be receiving some uh, API scripts or iframes or URL links and based on how they want to integrate on their site, they just take the, um, the, different, um, the different distribution uh, channels and embed them onto their site. Um, and that, has, that is as basic as it gets. Nobody gets to talk to us. Um, it's, it's a very ABC kind of process. And even if they don't want to pay for asset creation uh, and they don't want to submit images to turn into 3D objects, uh, they can just um, use a standard photogrammetry process or use our 3D scanner apps where basically they can just take 20 seconds videos of their products or take anywhere between 20 to 30 images per product upload them onto our server, and then the server automatically turns them into 3D assets which they can use. It's not a super um, amazing, hyper-photorealistic uh, you know, solution, but it's a very cost-effective solution. So we see a lot of those uh, budget-constrained uh, users tend to, to prefer that. It's kind of the self-service tier. Correct. Uh, Correct. Then we've got um, some brands like, um, I don't know, let's say Ralph Lauren or Burberry that they're very avid in 3D. They have a, an army of 3D modelers in their creative studios and what have you. They don't really need someone to create 3D models for them, but they need someone to compress the 3D models for them so that they can then create the 3D viewers, the configurators, and any other immersive solution that they feel that they want to use across their commercial channels. Um, and therefore, the platform allows them to take all those 3D models that they have in bulk, upload them into the system. The system runs a compression around those um, 3D models. And then uh, whatever you input, uh, you get to have a one-to-one -one output, but much more compressed. And then you have the assets ready again to go and create your solutions and publish them at scale. And the platform also allows them... Uh, to integrate across any content management system that they have or any, uh, any kind of, um, you know, uh, other manage, uh, you know, asset, asset management library that they have where they want to embed their solutions in and distribute them together or any other syndication network that they operate upon. Um, and those clients, um, in case they don't have any 3D modeling backgrounds, because you also have a lot of luxury brands, a lot of uh, you know jewelry brands, a lot of um, uh, you know automotive brands that they have this appetite of of uh, elevating their e-commerce and becoming more immersive, but they just don't have the stamina 
or they're not in the size of a team that they can uh, have their own 3D modeling team in studios, which they come to us, they drop all the images of their products onto uh, into our platform where our modelers turn everything into 3D and AR, and then they, they use the same workflows uh, to, to create the different immersive solutions and publish them. And then we have the, the last um, type of, 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 of client or user, if you like, which is a much more niche kind of audience. And those are the marketplaces and the e-commerce platforms of the world, uh, namely some like GoDaddy or New Order or, um, or even Etsy, which they can take our scalable APIs, our webhooks from the platform, connect them into their backend, and then they can take our entire engine put into their backend and allow their users to do whatever they would have done in the 3D platform, but within their ecosystems. Right. You're like the stripe uh, of uh, 3D rendering or something. Of, uh, yeah, of, of 3D commerce solutions, in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and basically, how the platform works. It okay. caters these three different levels of, uh, of users. When I think of the use cases, I mean, the obvious one is, you know, you go to uh, uh, Farfetch, for example, on their, their site, and you're exploring some of the, the clothing or the shoes, and you get a really nice 3D model of the, of the product, you can observe it, that probably increases conversion rates, you know, it's pretty obvious business case there. Um, when, when you move into the augmented reality space, and then we'll, we'll go a step further in just a minute around NFTs and, and kind of metaverse clothing, what are the use cases there? What are you witnessing among some of the you know, the preeminent brands uh, that are experimenting in the AR and metaverse worlds? Um, look, the beautiful thing about AR um, is that it can be whatever you want it to be. And, uh, and both 3D and AR are very important metaverse tools. Um, we see a lot of brands uh, using uh, this type of technologies in so many different ways, even in ways we never initially thought that, you know, they had an application. Um, and um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating uh, because um, you can use AR to, uh, you know, eliminate waste and enhance the, uh, the prototyping and sampling uh, workflows of, 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 of the brands so they don't have to constantly ship physical products back and forth. But also they can be testing all sorts of different uh, textures and they can see the products in front of them in, in AR and understand the size and give feedback and what have you. And that is perfect. But you can also use it on a marketing perspective so that you can create different uh, direct-to-consumer to experiences to allow the users to see the product, understand again the size, experience it in the comf- comfort of their own homes and, and you know, the, you know whatever augmented reality can do for, for the customer-facing aspects. And then you also have the other brands that are using AR for uh, educational purposes or um, even to, um, to be able to, um, you know, um, to, to tell a story that it's not otherwise easy to be told. Um, and we also see brands using AR for, for new product launches so that they can eliminate uh, all the bells and whistles of having to, you know, distribute physically the product uh, everywhere for people to test it and see it. It really helps a lot on on on, um, on the logistics and the sustainability side of things again. Um, and then AR is also a key component when it comes to blurring the lines between physical and digital. And as the world is becoming 
um, you know, more acquainted with uh, their second life, having a digital identity, browsing around and voyaging in different metaverse worlds and, and encountering different digital products. Um, AR can allow you to, to basically um, experience the product in its full autonomy. Um, so if, let's say, I'm, I'm Balenciaga um, and I have this beautiful, amazing sweatshirts or, or bags, right, that they're so good in real life and really what distinguishes them is, is the, the levels of quality. Uh, but I'm, I'm doing a 360 new product launch campaign in the metaverse and I've got different avatars going around and exploring my Balenciaga product in the metaverse. Most of the metaverse worlds today are extremely low poly, low fidelity. So it doesn't allow the brands to showcase those intrinsic details um, that are actually important to define the purchase intention of the user. And by attaching an element of AR executions next to those products that you're interacting with them in the metaverse, and you can take your phone, let's say, and scan a QR code and see the product coming out of the screen so you can explore it in real life and then click to purchase it through the metaverse, that's a fantastic way of bridging the gap between the real and the physical world and getting users or avatars, if you like, to convert and buy the product digitally but receive it physically as well. And, and vice versa. So um, it's it's really um, a key component when it comes to um, to this to creating these portals between Web two and Web three. Yeah. Well, the well, I hadn't thought about it before, but your your mention of the, uh, the environmental impact and the reduction in logistics. You know, when when uh, Balenciaga releases a new I don't know handbag or something, I'm sure there's a ton of logistics of physically creating them based on expected demand, shipping them out. Uh, hosting events worldwide, you know, the, the amount of carbon emissions associated with that are probably pretty steep. Um, so it's pretty fascinating that there's this opportunity to curb emissions through a, a path that I, I guess I have never really considered before. Yeah, look, it's not going to save the world, sure. but uh, it's definitely a step towards the right direction yeah. for a lot of brands, not just in fashion, but also in, uh, in consumer goods, consumer electronics, even in the automotive industry. Um, to really be able to meet their sustainability quotas um, and um, and avoid unnecessary shipping of products that doesn't really matter if they ship them or not because at the end of the day they're just samples and you're just testing them yeah. um, to um, to you know to really use immersive tools um, to um, to have the same kind of uh, efficient uh, prototyping process. Right. Well, that brings us back to the the bridge between. Web 2.0, Web 3, and you're sitting at the intersection at Web 2.5, if you'd like to call it that. Uh, I, I'm actually looking at the Metacommerce engine. Uh, I saw a, a pitch deck or a, some sort of deck you had uh, floating around on the internet that I'll, I'll put in the show notes. But talk about how you know a, a customer of, of 3DM can upload uh, and, and render those CAD images. You can create the, the 3D models. And, and then it kind of diversifies into two different sections or two different uh, a split path, one towards Web 2 and one towards Web 3, which, which we spoke about earlier. And I, I was at Paris Blockchain Week earlier uh, yesterday and the day before, and you know you get very technical in the conversations there. It's a lot of nerding out around protocols <laughs> and uh, custody <laughs> and whatever. 
um, which is great, and it's really cool, and it's important that there's a, a space for that. But there's the other part of the internet, uh, namely on Twitter, uh, you know, advocates for Web3 that, that discuss you know, what is it like to onboard the next 100 million people into Web3, because it's still a, 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 a large but a large minority of people that are like actively involved. Um, and I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine named Paula from, from Speed Invest, and she gave me this analogy about um, you know, a vending machine. People like to go to a vending machine and order the snack they want. They couldn't give a shit about the mechanics uh, on the back end. And that really applies uh, kind of in, the, in, in this blockchain, uh, crypto, metaverse kind of um, world which is there's gonna be a, 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 a big majority of the people that just don't really care about the protocols, they don't care about the cryptography, they want something that just works, you know? And the way Precisely. I see your kind of positioning is that this is something where it, it could just ultimately work from the get-go. It's, it's not something that requires uh, a big leap of faith or uh, some sort of technical know-how. It's I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm a CMO at a company that's, that's already working with you I understand that I have a 3D model that I'm putting on my website, and now you're offering them the opportunity to just double down on that and, you know, mint it as an NFT or associate it with, you know, this blockchain or another. So, exactly. can, you, can you tell me a little bit about what you're what you're hearing from CEOs uh, or CMOs that you're working with? Why are they excited about this, and and how do you plan to roll out the, the kind of it just works functionality? Um. First of all, I've never heard that um, example before with a vending machine, and I think I'm going to be using it as well. It's <laughs> it's it's spot on. I'm telling you, th thank you so much for sharing that. Golden, <laughs> golden. Um, but uh, it's the same. So the same kind of um, of cognitive biases that users will have and restricts them from you know going in volumes in this in this new internet still. It's because of that. There's a lot of gray areas which they need to do. I need to download this, and I need to own that, and I need to convert that to be able to do that. So if you're very agnostic of the space, all these things are very easy. And once you get the through the initial hurdle of, of installing all the, the necessary equipment you need, it's very easy process thereafter. Yeah. Uh, but for people that they don't know and they're a bit bored of going in understanding, um, yeah, it seems a bit tedious. Same applies for the brands, right? Those brands are like in their comfort zone. They know e-commerce. They finally get it. They now optimize their e-commerce pages. They now found ways to have consistency between their e-commerce and their real shops. And all of a sudden, you have these crazy dudes that come here and tell you, oh, Web3, the new internet, it's going to change the game. You guys, if you're not there, you're losing market share. And they're like, what the heck is, is happening, right? So for them having to um, all of a sudden leave their comfort zone to have to educate themselves about what the heck Ethereum is, what is layer one, what is layer two, what are the protocols, what is, why do I need to mint stuff, what is minting? I've never heard this word before. I thought it was something different. What is decentralized? Why do people go into something so you know, low poly? And why why do people care about a sandbox, which is a voxelated thing that it was a thing 20 years ago? All these things are, are, are genuine questions that the brands have, and they don't understand what is happening. They actually see brands like us, but all the Web3 guys, as, as very scary brands because they understand that we are important and we're going to continue being important and they understand that they need to use us but it bothers them that 
they need to have this black box sitting in their office and they're just afraid to open it because they don't know what's going to come out of, out of that, you know. So uh, um, ultimately for them, it all boils down to, to the vending machine example you gave. If people, brands, Web3 companies can give them something that they don't need to worry too much about, they don't need to massively educate themselves, but things miraculously happen. And then all of a sudden they can now play in those two different worlds seamlessly and uh, they can show to their bosses that, uh, you know, everything works and we have a Web3 strategy in place and we're optimizing it. And by the way, we didn't have to hire anyone externally to do that. Um, then happy days, you know. Um, so um, uh, this, is, this is mainly how we see brands reacting right now. We then have different CMOs and different innovation <coughs> managers and officers as well which they're even more fascinated because they can see the true potential. They can see how, many, how far this can stretch and, and, and how they can be doing things that otherwise seemed impossible or very expensive to do in real life. Uh, and those are the guys that typically tend to get more excited. And those are the guys that typically become the, the, the internal champions for us, that they push all those departments to, to bring them to the level that uh, they, they have to be to understand that this is important and therefore they have to devote time and effort to, to optimize them. Um, um, and, and surprisingly, um, we saw luxury being the first industry to, to embrace it fully. And we're seeing them investing a lot of money, time and training to bring a lot of their um, C-level people and, and leadership team to a position that they understand the potential of, of the metaverse. And usually luxuries are the, the industries that, you know, they, they tend to follow um, maybe consumer electronic industries or, or, you know, maybe whatever automotive industry does. But this time around, it was luxury first and everybody else follows, uh, which was an interesting example to see. Uh, I guess maybe because <clears throat> it was easier uh, to bridge the gap between direct to consumers and direct to avatars because digital ownership of wearables and physical ownership of wearables is just much easier to tie in and you can create a much faster utility both in terms of real life and, and digital life. And anyway, what, what is happening basically is that we're building more elevated digital identities of ourselves. So the first thing that you want to do to your digital identity is to dress it, to give it some sort of, um, of cool vibes because that's what's going to identify you in the next um, months or years to come. That's the avatar you're going to be using to build your presence into these worlds, into the new uh, Web3. Uh, so I guess that's why um, you know, consumers were more readily um, um, receptive to, to spend on, on, on digital clothing yeah. instead of digital Corvettes or, you know... <laughs> Well, I, you, you mentioned the, the, the term digital transformation earlier, and it, it feels right now like we're in this kind of wild west phase, but I, I spent uh, several years at, at Salesforce in the early 2010s, and I think they may have kind of coined that term going from you know, server-based CRM to, to cloud-based, uh, and, and it feels like we're in a, a similar moment now, obviously you know, a slightly different vertical, uh, but um, you know, you're kind of ushering in this digital transformation, you're, you're providing... A, a path forward it's always easier said than done and, and when you say digital transformation it can feel fairly abstract uh, so if you don't have a practical example or application to 
explain. It can be kind of difficult, and, and you see, you know, I don't know, like a fashion show on uh, in Fortnite or a concert in Fortnite. You're like, okay, that looks cool, but like, how, how exactly does this apply to me? Um, I, I found it interesting. You know, I, I was looking around on, on some of your social profiles. You've done a, a couple of personal experiments. One of them was minting your own NFT, which I think gave people access to your calendar for one-on-ones, and then you were in a uh, a metaverse fashion show wearing, I think it was DKNY's, you know, new, uh, I don't know what it was, a suit or something along those lines. So, uh, you, you know, you kind of, you talk the talk, but you walk the walk, you know, you're, you're actually experimenting in this world. So can you kind of explain to me your, your thought process behind uh, engaging in, in these activities and what you learned from, from doing it personally? Yeah, I mean, look, I was in the space since forever, since we didn't even know that there was a name about it. The metaverse, right? Um, and I was also one of—I don't want to say one of the first—but um, I started investing in, in crypto and blockchain since 2014. Um, I was yes, I did purchase Bitcoin when it was around 150 dollars, and yes, I did sell it when it was at 400 dollars, <laughs> and yes, I did decide to buy it back when it was at uh, 14,000, and then sell it when it crashed to 12,000. Know? Yeah. Um, so. Um, you know, I've been through this thick and thin, um, and I was also uh, there when NFT collections came to be, and um, we spent three hundred dollars buying, you know, mutant apes and all this kind of stuff. Um, and um, you know, you had you just had to do it because being in this space, if you don't understand the um, all the different aspects of it. If you if you're not grinding there along to get the 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 market beats to understand why other people in the same position as you, other consumers exhibit this kind of new consumer behaviors, um, then how can you go and build something that allow the brands to do it at scale? Um, and and that was always our our notion, how our culture and, and what we 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 cultivated internally with the three D leadership team since day one. All of us are proper degenerates. You know, we've been um, we've been learning and testing and losing money and making money in the space to to understand. Um, but ultimately, those are great experiences. It's like doing an MBA in Web three. Um, it costs us the same money, um, yeah. but without being in <laughs> in a proper university. You got a profile uh, <laughs> picture as opposed to a. Uh, a <laughs> exactly, um, but um, um, all, all these are, are are important things, and I think this is what defines a Web three specialist or a company that understands how to function in the Web three and really get the brands to trust them as you take them into this journey into this new internet. Um, versus everybody else that just goes on LinkedIn and puts um, you know under their title. Web3 specialist, metaverse specialist, NFT specialist. And like six months ago, they were digital marketeers or they were, you know, you, you just don't get to, to claim that easily because, um, but unfortunately we do have that breed of people. And unfortunately they're really messing up the market because they're giving all sorts of wrong impressions and guidance to, to brands and brands are spending a lot of money to these type of people because, they don't know and they have a massive FOMO and they need someone to, to show that they, 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 they brought on board to, to navigate them. Uh, that someone obviously might never even purchase the NFTs, might never got racked, might never lost money on blockchain transactions, might 
might never minted anything in their lives. They're just capitalizing on the hype. Um, and then you see all sorts of different shitty executions from the brands that bring zero value to them. For instance, like uh, Heineken the other day, they launched a digital beer and they, they were promoting it on LinkedIn. Oh, we have our first digital beer. Guys, this, this is not it, you know? You don't just do a voxelated beer and you say you're into the metaverse. Yeah. They're missing the point and it's far beyond that. What is critical for the brands to understand, and they cannot understand it if, they're, if, if people that are in the space do not explain it to them, is that every minute that they do not invest in building a robust six-month and 12-month strategy to understand how the metaverse and the Web3 space works, they're losing market share every minute because every minute a new baby is born. And the new babies now are, the first thing that they encounter are iPads and iPhones and Robloxes and Fortnites. And, and, and they already, by the age of five, they're spending money to buy tokens, to buy digital products, to enhance their characters. And these guys, 30 years later, they're going to be the ones that they have the purchasing powers and they, they make the decisions and they drive consumer demand. These guys are going to have a complete different notion of how to evaluate digital ownership, physical ownership, pricing, engagement with brands. They're going, to have, they're going to love brands that they've been with them since the beginning and they were offering them all these kind of rewards and values since they were five, right? And, um, and it's not just about publishing a lame, you know, voxelated can and say, I'm now in the metaverse. They're missing the point. Yeah. And they probably spend at least... 100,000 to onboard a Web3 or Metaverse specialist to come in and come up with this idea and another 20,000 for their Metaverse or their agency to create it and another 30 or 50,000 just to promote it, you know. And they achieved nothing. They lost so much money and so much time and they haven't even scratched the surface. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, to that end, I, I, I kind of want to close out on a state of the union for crypto, Metaverse, NFTs. Uh, the Heineken example you gave is, is a really good one where you know, there's a lot of distrust with brands who are jumping on a, a trend and whatever, minting a, a beer NFT for the sake of doing it. But it, it, like you said, there's a disconnect there. It doesn't quite translate. Um, so, you know, I, I, when I think about NFTs in the future, there's a couple of easy examples that come to mind, like, you know, points that you get on your credit card or loyalty programs or uh, there's a lot of DAOs now experimenting with access to physical parties based on you know, your token holdings. And so, you know, it feels like we've hit a critical mass. You know, it's no longer 2013 where Bitcoin is kind of this niche uh, thing. Uh, we've gone through a couple of hype cycles. We've got formalized conferences. Uh, we have plenty of exchanges, you know, Mount Gox is, is in the past and now people are buying from credible uh, kind of financial institutions quasi-financial institution. <laughs> quasi um, is more appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what is the what is the state of the union today uh, for crypto, for NFTs, and what can we expect in the next five, five to ten years? Look, I am very biased because I'm a, I'm a huge um, ambassador of tokenomics, and I truly believe that eventually everything will be tokenized um, in a, a, every form and way. Uh, in the way we transact, in the way that we we get paid, in the way we interact with um, with, with different brands, um, NFTs and metaverse don't necessarily need to go together. Um, 
NFTs, I see them more as um, a kind of a CRM, as you mentioned. It's more of uh, of that binding contractual relationship between a you a customer and a brand that can increase in perpetuity in terms of values and rewards. Um, and then the metaverse worlds are just the means to to an end, where basically you have this additional economy that you provide additional rewards to your customers, whether they're customers of yours as an avatar or whether they're customers of yours as a physical human being or both. So you've got the NFTs, you use them as a CRM, you use them as utility to build a bond to, to, to reward people because they're holders, because they show their dedication, they, they're also being internal champions and they go around and they push the, the value creation of, of the brand in all these different channels. And then you've got the physical world where you can tie these utilities and rewards with, but you also have the metaverse where you can tie these utilities. And for sure, we're going to be seeing new forms of KPIs coming up, new forms of, uh, of rewardings coming in. So instead of giving them loyalty points, you might reward them on a where to earn kind of way. So the more you're wearing your ASICs t-shirt or hoodie voyaging in Decentraland and Sandbox, the more you get paid by the brand. Um, the more you jump around and you run and you do activities and you interact with different uh, games in different metaverse worlds, the more you get rewarded. Uh, the more followers you have or the more avatars that cross paths to you, uh, you know, and because you're a creator and you build a solid, um, you know, image and, 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 and kind of, of, of fame or, or legacy in the space because you're doing good things and people are following you because you're doing good things and you're being a, a solid creator in the space, you can be rewarded for that, you know? Yeah. Um, so we will see also the, the notion of influencers um, changing them, them, the way in which brands perceive an influencer and how they reward influencers is going to change as well. Um, and then blockchain, um, I think... That is something that um, it's not necessarily, uh, I mean, crypto, sorry, not blockchain. Cryptos are not necessarily um, affecting whatever NFTs and, um, and metaverse is doing with the brands in this new uh, 3D internet world that is being built. Um, but for sure, there are going to be some prevailing uh, cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, like Bitcoin, potentially Polygon or Polkadot that are going to be um, the, the pillars in which all these uh, kind of experiences and tokens are going to be built upon uh, and that they're going to bring a universal pricing level to all, all the products uh, worldwide. Uh, this is a long-term play, of course, but it, it's going to happen. All of the brands are going to have their own tokens so that they can reward and there's going to be probably one token that unifies everything together so that they can uh, function in, in tandem, basically. I mean, the, the space is, is fascinating and it's, it seems to be uh, changing every day. So I, I really appreciate you giving us your insight from, uh, from your vantage point over in the, the 3D world. Um, I think we'll close on that. Uh, I really appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it was good to speak with you again. And uh, I look forward to keeping tabs on, on 3DM and your foray into the, the metaverse. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we're going to have a lot of interesting things coming up. So uh, keep a close eye. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Mike, and I will uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.